the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my offices here in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Uh, I hope you've had a good week so far and you're looking forward to a good weekend. Forecast seems to suggest we're going to have some nice weather this weekend. So this may be one of our last chances before, I don't know, maybe very cold weather comes back again. Hard to tell exactly what's going to happen. In any event, um, uh, my dad would have known. My dad was actually uh, a meteorologist for the Air Force after uh, World War II, did that for Uh, 20-some years in the Air Force, and he was one of those people who could go outside in an evening, uh, moisten his finger, stick it up in the air, look up at the sky, and give a 24-hour forecast. It was remarkable. My dad was really, really good at that kind of stuff. He was a very good meteorologist. Um, I did not pick up the meteorology gene from my father. Uh, Those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that I'm actually adopted, but I was raised by my dad, who was a meteorologist. He was a civil engineer and a pilot in the Army Air Force in World War II. And uh, I picked up kind of a scientific approach to everything I do as an attorney, even to the point that many of my friends who are engineers tell me that I should have been an engineer based on the way that I approach problem solving. But that being said, here I am as an attorney uh, at the end of this year, I will have been practicing 40 years in the practice of law. It hardly seems possible that I've been doing this that long, but there you are. Um, so I'm going to give out my number in case anyone wants to call in and ask a question on the air. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you could email questions to radio at lawbob.com. I will get those questions if you happen to uh, email them to me. And I just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, barring anybody calling in, I'm going to continue on as I have for several months now with questions and comments from around the state of California. I want to let you all know, uh, just as an aside here, If you're out of the area and you want to listen to the show, you can always get the KDOW app for your iPhone or Android, and you can stream the show live on the app. Uh, You can also access podcasts 
of my prior shows at kdow.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, you go to the podcast and drop down the page till you come to Plan Your State Radio. Those can also be accessed from the app for your phone. So if you're traveling some Friday afternoon and you're going, I need my fix of Bob Bergman's show, you can always stream the show from the app. And if you miss the show, you can always listen to the podcast, which is up um, not too long after the show is over. So let's go with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. Okay, question out of San Francisco. I'm transferring property into a revocable living trust. I don't have any, um, no money changing hands, no mortgage payoff is involved, but there's mortgages on my property. Can I still transfer the property into my trust? Um, The answer is yes, and it's kind of a complicated answer because you're going to get kind of different opinions about this. For your personal residence, you can certainly transfer it into a revocable living trust. And um, having a mortgage doesn't really mean anything. If you have rental properties and you transfer them into a revocable living trust and they have mortgages, theoretically and technically you're supposed to notify the lenders and get their permission to do that so they don't call in the mortgages because you transferred ownership of the property. Now, you really didn't transfer ownership of the property. You transferred it from one way that you own it to another way that you still own it. So there really hasn't been a change in ownership, but many lenders will take that position. So if you want to be extra special careful, go back to a lender and say, I'm going to put my property into a trust. And then they may come back and say, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, We'll charge you a couple hundred dollars to update our records to reflect that that the property's in your trust now. Um, My practice for many years has been not to notify lenders at all because all they want to do is use it as an opportunity to to charge people fees that really don't do much of anything. Uh, That being said, um, I don't see why a lender would even care that you put the property into a trust as long as you keep making the mortgage payments. Now, if you don't make the mortgage payments, It doesn't matter if it's in your trust or not. They're going to come and they're going to foreclose on the property. That's just the practicality of all that. Now, here's someone again out of San Francisco says, I'm completing a transfer quitclaim deed to convey my property into my revocable living trust. Do I have to complete a preliminary change of ownership report with that? The answer is yes. Um, And when you're in San Francisco, You probably also have to do a documentary transfer tax affidavit showing why the transfer is not subject to any transfer tax imposed by the recorder. The preliminary change of ownership report is a very important document because it's designed to be given to the assessor in the county where the property is located so the assessor can determine whether or not they get to reassess the property taxes on the property because of the transfer. So the preliminary change of ownership report, which we collect, we kind of colloquially call the PCOR, uh, the PCOR gives important information to the assessor. And if you are exempt from reassessment, then there will be a box on the front of the PCOR that you can check with the particular exemption so they know not to bug you about reassessing the property taxes. 
If you don't file a PCOR when you do a deed, they'll charge you an extra $20. And I can bet you that the assessor will be following up with you to find out the nature of that transfer and start uh, threatening probably to reassess if you don't inform them whether the transfer was exempt or not. So the easiest thing to do is file the PCOR with whatever transfer document you're doing, whether it's a deed, an affidavit of death of trustee or change of trustee, an affidavit of death of joint tenant. Any document that transfers an interest in real property should have that PCOR filed with it at the same time. Okay, we got a couple minutes left in this first segment. I think I can cover this during then. This person says they had a trust and funded their trust with their real estate. Then says my sister and others forged a grant deed and filed with the county, ended up with my property. So what do I do? Uh, can I do a quiet title action? Do I call the DA, have them arrested for theft? This is civil and criminal. Well, first of all, I'd start with probably notifying the district attorney what happened so that they can go after the sister and others who forged the deed. And you could also file an action in the probate court um, claiming that they are holding property that is your property. Quiet title. I don't think you need to do that. Uh, but still, there's two ways you can go. One is uh, definitely to go to court to have that property returned back to your trust because it was acquired illegally and is, in fact, yours. And the other would be definitely go to the district attorney file a formal complaint, and let the strong arm of the law get involved in this situation. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. Went by really, really fast. If you want to call in, it's 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com. And I will take calls on the air if you'd like to call in, or I'll answer your questions on the air if you email them to me. So we'll be coming back after the break in a short amount of time here. Uh, So until then, this is Attorney Bob Brigman, and we'll get back together after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, this next question, this comes out of San Diego, and this is actually an income tax cost basis question. Okay, it says, My wife and her brother expected to inherit property in San Diego from their dad, um, which was appraised at $600,000 at his death. And that becomes his cost basis. So far, we're good here. My wife desires to buy out her brother's 50% share with the intent to rent the property. Should she then decide to sell the property, is her cost basis $300,000 or $600,000 for capital gains purposes? The answer is $600,000. Um, it's $600,000 because... Half of the appraised value at the dad's death, $300,000, is her cost basis in her share. And then if she buys out her brother, she's actually acquiring a cost basis independently of her father's because she purchased an interest in real estate valued at 
$300,000. So the basis stays the same um, as as what it was when the father died. Um, the basis doesn't go down uh, just because the, the sister, uh, and it doesn't go up just because the sister buys out her brother unless she buys him out at higher than $300,000. And then whatever whatever interest she bought, 50%, she buys it. Maybe she pays $350,000 because it's a year later. Well, then her basis becomes her $300,000 originally plus whatever she paid for the interest from her brother. That's pretty much how that would work. Okay, here. uh, My mother was willed a home upon her death and the house was to pass to me. I've lived on the property for 20 plus years and want to transfer the deed to my name now. Well, I think what this person means is that their mother left a house to them on her death um, and now they want to transfer the deed to themselves. Well, if mom had the house in a trust and this person, uh, the child, was the successor trustee of the trust and mom has died and it says, leave this house to my, um, uh, you know, to my, my daughter, Jane, well, then Jane as the trustee could transfer the property to herself uh, out of the trust because she's inheriting it from the trust. If, on the other hand, mom had it in her name and just left a will saying, Jane, my daughter, gets my property, Jane's not going to be able to just transfer the property to her name. She's going to have to go through the entire probate process wherever this happens to be located. Uh, She's going to have to go through that process for the purpose of making sure bills and debts of her mother are paid. And then when the process is done, she'll be able to transfer the property out of the trust to herself using uh, what's called a personal representative's deed or administrator's deed or executor's deed, depending whether there was no will or whether there was a will. And then she records that, and now she actually owns the property at that time. So that's um, that's what would have to be done there. Okay, here's a here's something I can guarantee there are lots of people out there that are doing this, sometimes knowingly doing this, sometimes doing it um, out of ignorance. But here's the setup. My sister and I will be receiving each about $200,000 from my parents' trust once their house sells. My sister, who's the trustee of the trust, does not want to give me my half because I will lose my Medi-Cal benefits. Now, see, Medi-Cal benefits, this is probably for someone who is disabled and Medi-Cal is their primary health care. They may also be getting SSI for their income from the government. But all of those programs are needs-based programs, which means that if you get $200,000 handed to you, they will say, well, you're not eligible for Medi-Cal anymore. You're not eligible for SSI. And so we're going to take those away from you until you have spent nearly everything of that $200,000 and you're back to being destitute again. That's kind of how it works. Uh, In this case, the sister said, she'll give me money when needed, but that way I will not lose my benefits. I don't think this is legal and don't want her to take control of my money. Well, let me tell you this. First of all, 
You're right. It's not legal. If someone on Medi-Cal is receiving $200,000 as an inheritance, they have to report that fact to the authorities that administer Medi-Cal. They also have to report that to the federal authorities that administer SSI. Now, um, if they decide, I want to keep the $200,000 and use it the way I want to, the way I see fit, well, then that means they'll lose their Medi-Cal and they will lose their SSI. They can, however, a person, if they're still mentally competent, they can have a trust set up with their inheritance. It will be called a special needs trust, um, and it either is set up through the court or now if the person's competent, they can set it up themselves. Uh, If they do that, put the inheritance in there, they can still get their Medi-Cal, they can still get their SSI, But when that person dies, then the government has the right to recover against any monies left in that special needs trust that were not used to help out the special needs person. That is the proper way to handle this. Now, another possibility, something that I've been successful in doing um, through the courts is to petition the court to have the share passing to the sister on Medi-Cal, have it instead pass into a supplemental needs trust, which, by the way, would not have a recovery right by the um, by the state. Uh, it could be done through the courts. I did one a few months ago uh, for a family where someone was receiving an outright distribution, and we went in and we had it changed to a distribution into a supplemental needs trust so the person would not lose their Medi-Cal eligibility. Um, But this person writing this, they're very, they're correct. Just holding the money, not telling the state, and I'll give you money when you need it, that's actually illegal. It's Medi-Cal fraud. And if the sister knows this and participates and lets her other sister get away with this, she could be charged with Medi-Cal fraud as well. That's a serious thing. So it's good the person's asking the question. Hopefully um, uh, they may be listening to the show or they'll get advice that says this is what you need to do. So we have a couple minutes left in this segment. So uh, here, here's someone says, um, I have a genetic disease that does not have a cure. My father died of this disease 12 years ago. As soon as my father's condition worsened, my mother put the house for sale after the father said the house was for my two children and myself. Well, I'm going to pick this up when we come back after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. We'll pick up this story when we come back after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on. Uh, Let me pick up what I was talking about before the break. Uh, This person was indicating they have a genetic disease that does not have a cure. 
the father died of the disease a number of years ago. As soon as the father's condition worsened, this person's mother put the mom and dad's house up for sale after the father said the house was for um, for the three children of the marriage. Um, so the mother was so uh, angry uh, against this person for notifying the father's family in another country that he was dying that she wanted nothing to do with uh, with this person and uh, told him in front of his family she hoped that he died. Wow, that is harsh. Um, I haven't had contact since then, but my, uh, but um, I'm very ill, and I want to know that since I'm unmarried, would she have any say over my health or my remains, or would my oldest child be the only one legally able to decide on my behalf? Well, here's the bottom line here. This person needs to create an advanced health care directive. It should be, in my opinion, custom-drafted for this person, naming this person's child or children as the ones making those decisions, including health care decisions, disposition of remains, and uh, perhaps even going so far as to explicitly state that um, this person's mother has no say of any kind in any of the medical or health care decisions or disposition of remains um, that, that she is specifically excluded. I have done um, advanced directives like that for people who um, absolutely do not want to have particular family members uh, get involved in their personal affairs, and that includes their affairs dealing with um, with their health and what happens after they have passed away. So that's what I would advise this person to do. Okay, here's a, a, a couple says, uh, let's see. Um, husband and wife had a trust, all properties jointly owned. The husband died, surviving spouse is the beneficiary of the trust. There's nobody else involved. Does this trust really have to be administered? We talk about trust administration, which is what you do with a trust after someone has died. Well, I would say in a case like this, there still is administration to be done. It would not be very complex. It's mostly a matter of um, if the surviving spouse now owns everything, for the surviving spouse to go around to wherever there are assets that are titled in the name of the trust and take the husband's name off of those assets. If it's a house... Uh, file an affidavit of change of trustee with a death certificate showing the husband has died. So now, now the wife's name is the only one on the property as a trustee. For joint, you know, for bank accounts, same thing. Take the name off. If the accounts are not in the trust ownership, put them in the trust ownership. You don't want to run the risk of having too much property in your estate when you die so that it triggers the need to go to the probate court for some kind of probate court action. Okay, so this person uh, here says, because of a terminal illness, this is similar to the earlier one, um, I want to make sure my remains are disposed of in accordance with my wishes. What do I do to ensure this? I'm not married and I have no children. So this is different from the situation before where the person had children. 
what type of will should I set up? How do I do that? Well, first of all, if you're concerned about disposition of your remains, again, you need an advanced health care directive that directs what you want to have done with your remains. You need to name somebody to act on your behalf. Um, being unmarried and having no children, you know, the question is, do you have somebody that you could trust, a friend of some kind, even if not a friend? Can you engage the services of a professional like an attorney, excuse me, professional like an attorney or a CPA or or um, someone of that nature? Um, could you hire somebody to do that for you? You can do those kinds of things, um, but it's not so much a will that you're talking about setting up. It's an advanced health care directive. Uh, if you have assets, then you need to have at least a will. You should decide where you want your assets to go. If you're not married, have no children, then the question is, who do you want it to go to? A will would enable you to do that. If you have substantial assets, and that by that I mean if there's real estate, if there's more than um, about $165,000 of property in your name or payable to your estate, then you should consider having everything put into a trust ownership, a living trust ownership, in order to av- uh, completely avoid the probate process. Those would be some of the recommendations I would make to a person like this. Now, when a trust states a beneficiary would receive a set amount if the estate was above a set amount, but it was not above that set amount, a lot of set amounts here, then does that beneficiary need to be notified? So it says, Dad passed away after Mom and changed his trust, stating his son would receive $10,000 should his estate be at $300,000 or more. When Dad died, his estate was at $15,000. Okay, wow. I'm guessing there was probably a nursing home stay in there somewhere. The son is missing in action and, and has been for years before and after Dad's death. Is it required that the son receives a letter and a copy of the trust, even though he doesn't qualify for any inheritance? Well, if there's a trust, legally, all beneficiaries named in the trust are entitled to a copy of the terms of the trust, whether you can find them or not. Now, what does that mean? Um, That means that whoever is the trustee may have to at least do some kind of efforts to locate this person, Uh, to notify him that his father died. Now, being a practical person myself, I might tell the trustee, look, if you can't find the son um, and he's not going to get anything anyway because there's only $15,000 left in the trust, then don't break, you know, don't go through the effort of trying to find him because the worst case is, oh, you didn't give him a copy of the terms of the trust He says, well, I should have had a copy of the terms of the trust. Great. Here it is. You don't get anything anyway. So it's kind of like a no harm, no foul situation. And that's probably what I would do in that situation, even though technically, legally, you're supposed to find the person and give them a copy of the trust. Okay, here's someone asking a question. If a house is part of a living trust, will that show on the deed to the property? person said, I have the deed. It says my mother-in-law granted it to her son as a married man's sole owner. 
mother-in-law claims it's in a trust. Wouldn't that be on the deed? Yes, it absolutely would be on the deed. Um, the only way to definitively know that real estate or any asset for that matter is owned by a trust if it says so on the deed on the account on on the titling on the registration that it says it is owned by a trust or typically by a trustee of a trust um, because technically the trust can't own property directly without a trustee in charge of it so in this case if someone's saying Yes, it's in a trust, but the title says something other than that. Either the first person saying it's in the trust has no idea what they're talking about, or they're trying to pretend and they're trying to mislead the person they're telling, uh, maybe to put them off the track or have them not investigate further. In this case, I'm voting for the latter, uh, given that I'm pretty sure that the person asking the question is the spouse of the son. And uh, so that's something to consider right there. Okay, here says, My son received $10,000 at Christmas as a gift. I want to gift him stock for his birthday. How much am I legally able to give him in 2020? Ooh, I knew that question was going to come up. I believe the answer is fifteen thousand dollars of value of property i'm pretty sure that it went up um, this year but um, because of the magic of computers i can do a quick check and figure out just where it is now oops that's not going to work i got a computer that seems to be disconnected from the keyboard well we'll just search over here uh, gift limitation, I believe, right now for 2020 is, drumroll please, $15,000. So that means $15,000 worth of stock could actually be given by this father to his um, child as long as it's um, publicly traded so you know that you're actually doing the, the uh, correct value. And that does not count as a taxable gift at all um, when it's done, um, when, when you have it valued properly, and as long as it's limited to $15,000 per year. Now, if there's also a mother involved, she could give another $15,000 of stock because each person can give $15,000. And that can be a very useful planning strategy sometimes if someone's trying to reduce their estate they could give $15,000 gifts to a bunch of family members and even personal friends and even people walking by on the street. Depends on how generous you feel. Okay, so we're coming up on the end of the third segment today. Uh, you can always call in 800-516-1220 if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. I love taking questions on the air because that's when it really gets real. But uh, until we come back after the break, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. And I'll see you on the backside. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to close out the show today with some more questions and comments. 
uh, unless someone calls in at 800-516-1220. So let me dive right in. I have a whole stack of them here, and I'll probably get through about uh, maybe four or five before we call it a day and head into what's going to be a beautiful weather weekend. Really looking forward to it with my family. Okay, so this person here uh, was asking, says, uh, we need to set up a family trust for our son's property. What's the cost for this, and should this be done before marriage? Well, I don't know that I can respond to what the cost is because I don't know exactly what they want to do. But it sounds like what they're doing is they want to make sure that any property going to their son from them um, is going to be separate from the son's marriage once the son gets married. Well, there's a couple of different ways that can be done. Number one, you can set up a trust today to be the recipient of the um, of the property from your trust when you die, or if you want to gift things while you're alive, you could set up a trust for the benefit of your son and have it be an asset-protected lifetime trust to pass assets into that for your son's benefit to take care of him, maybe future children, but not necessarily to take care of that future daughter-in-law. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is to create provisions to create to save that create provisions in your own trust to create a trust like that for your son after you've died. That's probably more common. Um, I know that that's typically the approach that I take when I do planning and people are concerned about the inheritance being passed on to their children someday. Okay, uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to pass over that one because it's a little bit too complicated to try to deal with on the show here. All right, here, um, parents have a house. They put it into a living trust. Mom died. My dad resigned as trustee and made me the sole trustee. And that was recorded uh, with my name and the trust on the title. So this is son as trustee for dad's trust. Now my brother made my dad change the trust and made him into the trustee. Can they kick me off of title? Oh, yeah. If dad is mentally competent and, and he knows what he's doing and he has not been unduly influenced, then basically he can file or the brother can file an affidavit of change of trustee that basically says, I'm the trustee now, the previous trustee uh, resigned, or the father can file that affidavit, so it's very, very clear that he's the one that made that decision. So yes, you can be removed as the trustee and a new trustee put on. Um, that's not an unusual occurrence at all. Okay, um, so it looks like it says... Um, I'm living in a home that's owned by my by my uh, life partner. We're not married. Nothing's in my name legally. But he gave me a handwritten letter that gives me permission to live in the house as long as I want. The letter was not notarized. So the question is, what happens if he dies? Then can she stay in the house? Well, Given, you know, without more details, it sounds like if there's a handwritten letter that says you can live there as long as you want, that is effectively creating a trust, a lifetime trust for the person. It doesn't use the words trust, but I'll tell you what, 
in legal terms, you don't have to use the word trust for there to be a trust created and the court to interpret that there is a trust. It's more the substance of what happened, not the actual the actual words used. In a case like this, this probably could be rendered as a trust by a court and the person may have permission to live there as long as they want. The real problem is who pays for everything? If this person's living there, are they required to pay for property taxes, insurance, utilities, maintenance, all that stuff? Certainly giving someone the right to stay in your home or your property uh, after you've died uh, for their lifetime, you can certainly do that in an estate plan. But you want to make sure that if you do that in an estate plan, you make sure that you have laid out what happens if the person um, um, wrecks the place, what happens if they just disappear, what happens if they're sent to jail, all kinds of things like that. There's a lot of different things that should be uh, brought in when you're talking about giving someone the right to live in your property after you've died. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned some things. I hope you've heard some things that were maybe a little bit entertaining. Uh, I try to educate and entertain. Uh, As I've said before on the show, my original goal in college was to be a high school history teacher. And today I still love history. I don't teach it, but I am a teacher. Part of my job as an attorney is to educate those who are uninformed about estate planning or to give them better information about estate planning. And hopefully, if you're listening to this show as a regular listener or just for the first time today, you'll come back because you're getting an education from me. Um, I love doing this. I love educating. I love teaching. And um, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I hope you have a great weekend. I'm planning on doing some fun things, uh, some hobby stuff and doing some fun things with my family, maybe catching a movie or something. But I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, until next Friday, um, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and talk with you next week. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.